Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Better face the facts. It seems you can't get enough. Ah, uh, yes. Hundreds of millions of people can't get enough of our top, well, yeah, I would say hundreds of millions. Yeah. Um, 750 of them, in fact. Uh, well, I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure a few hundred million of them are fed up with it because they did a design change, probably yeah. in between the time we record this. And the time that this actually goes live, but we're talking about Facebook. Yes, we have. Uh, we've recorded several podcasts about various aspects of Facebook, including Facebook and its stance on privacy or lack thereof, and uh, and other other related topics. Uh, Facebook apps. We did one on the Facebook redesign a couple of years ago, which is funny because there have been... I was going to say several of them after that. Yes, there have been more redesigns since then. But we've never really talked about the actual history of Facebook and and how it developed into what it is today. And um, One of the things I'm really grateful about 
for this topic is that there was one definitive timeline that told us everything we needed to know that no one was arguing about, about how Facebook got started and who was responsible for it. Right. There's no controversy whatsoever. None Nothing in the least. Nothing is in dispute except everything. Unless your name is Winklevoss. Yeah. Ah, uh, the Winklevosses. It's, you know, on a side note, before we get into this, it's hard for me to feel sympathy toward them. <laughs> It's hard for many, many, many people to feel sympathy for them. When when you're known as being a, a handsome, wealthy, young person who was on the Harvard rowing I was team. Say extremely athletic yeah, Olympians. Exactly. You get to that point where you're thinking, okay, fine. Uh, but – Yes, the story of Facebook is um, is mired in controversy, actually, um, which you may know if you saw the film. And I am not calling it a documentary because some people did think of it as a documentary. I was going to say not. the comedy. Yeah, uh, oh. the social network. Yes. Uh, which and, and – Believe it or uh, not, this is a film that I have seen and, I and Jonathan not. has not. Uh, but, but Sorkin himself was Aaron very – Sorkin, the – Aaron Sorkin, the writer. The screenwriter. He, he, he very specifically pointed out this is not a documentary. It was a dramatization based upon one account of the origins of Facebook and it took a lot of liberties with the story for dramatic purposes, which is you know that's what movies do. So that's why I'm not going to call it – I jokingly call things documentaries, but in this case, I definitely don't want to do make that Yeah, it is not joke. a documentary. But, but there is some truth in it. Yeah, there's there's some truth and some of it is still kind of – Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, all ripped from the headlines. But some of it is still kind of in that weird nebulous realm of where does – you know who's at fault and what exactly happened, but let's 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 look back to the very beginnings. Um, we're talking about around 2002. Mm-hmm. One Harvard student named uh, Divya Narinda mm-hmm. had kind of come up with an idea for a a platform for Harvard students to use that would allow them to connect socially with one another online, perhaps some sort of online social network, for example. Mm-hmm. But that was back in 2002 when he first started getting the idea. Then he, he met up with the Winklevoss twins. Yes, Cameron and Tyler. Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. Uh, and together, around in 2003, in the fall of 2003, they started to seriously discuss this and try and come up with a way of, uh, of creating it. And their idea was going to be called HarvardConnections.com. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, it eventually would uh, evolve into connectyou.com. Yeah, you, the letter, the letter U. U, uh, which could mean connect you as in you, the person, or connect you as in you university. for university because mm-hmm. they had, they had envisioned this as being a social network for college students. They were originally going to launch it on Harvard's, uh, servers and just to have Harvard students be involved. And then we're eventually planning to opening opening this up to students at other universities. Mm-hmm. So they start working on this this uh, project, and uh, they hire. They are not developers. They they've got the idea, but they don't have the expertise. So first, they hire a guy named Victor Gao, G A O. Uh, they hire him, but Victor eventually 
decides he needs to leave the project. It's just too time consuming and he doesn't have the time and effort to be able to pour into it. Mm-hmm. But he comes up with a name of a guy that he thinks would be perfect to help them develop this project. That guy was a 19 year old by the name of Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that name, but I don't, I don't. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'll think of where I heard it before. Well, at this point, Winkle, the Winklevoss twins and Narinda are all seniors at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zuckerberg at the time was a sophomore. So Zuckerberg comes onto the project and takes a look at what, talks to them about what they want and says, yeah, this is a great idea. I'm going to help you build this out and I will, um, I'll b- put the functionality in and we'll have more meetings about this. So this is all taking place in the fall of 2003. Yeah, now, now Zuckerberg had been working on other similar types of projects. Yeah, in fact, the reason why Victor suggested Zuckerberg in the first place is Zuckerberg mm-hmm. was, had launched a very high profile controversial site at Harvard called FaceMash. Yes. And the reason why this was controversial was that what Zuckerberg did, Zuckerberg as it turns out, seems to have a, uh, a fast and loose approach when it comes to things like privacy and rules. <laughs> that was more evident in the past than it is now. Arguably. He's, well, he's... Because now he's very, incorporated he, it. He's, he's been more careful about his personal views. His messaging is a little... is maybe a little more careful. I think um, probably because his lawyers have told him to be. All right. So what he did with Face Mash was that he used... It, it was... It was brilliant and it was brazen at the same time. <laughs> he, he created a site that what it would do is it would collect images of Harvard students from other from databases on, at Harvard. He essentially hacked into these systems, like the directories. Yeah, I guess hacked is probably too strong a term. He created code that would access these directories and pull information from them. So it wasn't so much as this is a closed system that he was trying to get access to. He was just grabbing information that was available and putting it on a new platform, right? Right. In this case, the information were photos. Mm-hmm. It would pull photos and names of various students at Harvard. Yeah, and scraping. What, yeah, exactly. And what Face Mesh would do is it would pair two people on a site and you would vote which person was more attractive. And it kept a tally of the people who were being voted the most attractive over and over again so that – Part of the site was just this fun thing where you would go on and say, oh, well, uh, she's more attractive than, than, than she is, or, mm-hmm. or she and him, or he and he, whatever. You would vote and vote and vote and vote, and they would keep this tally. And then you could also go and look at the most attractive students at Harvard University. Um, this kind of upset the college board, the student board at Harvard. Not to little- mention a few of the students who didn't want their pictures being judged. Pasted up there, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, Harvard's a little conservative, as it turns out. Um, so the students, uh, student board kind of brought Mark Zuckerberg up on, uh, the, you know, saying that this was not a very smart thing to do, that it was, uh, it violated privacy. Not cool, dude. Yeah. And, uh, he was not, um, he was not expelled no. for this, but he mm-hmm. was reprimanded for it. Yes. Uh, and said that uh, he was charged specifically with breaching security, violating copyrights, and violating individual privacy. So Face Mash gets shut down. But he had he was fairly notorious on campus already because of this. You know, mm-hmm. And it was such a successful site. So he was thought of as a guy who could develop not just stuff that worked, but stuff that appealed to people. And that's why Victor had said, this is the guy you should get to help develop your Connect You 
project. Yeah. Now I didn't run across this in my actual research, but on the in the movie, uh, and again, I don't know whether or not it's actual fact or that was uh, gussied up for the script. But they said that uh, one of the other problems that they had with it was that the uh, it taxed the university's network because it was very very popular. Um, it was defi- I, 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 it was I, definitely popular, though whether or not it actually taxed their broadband is. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but yeah. the fact that it was very popular would That's have attracted that that would have attracted interest. Yes. So, uh, so anyway, Mark Zuckerberg joins the Connect U team, and uh, again, this is taking place in the fall of 2003, fall and winter of 2003. What could possibly go wrong with he's, this? He 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 starts sending them messages when they're asking him, "Hey, what's the status on this project?" He starts sending back messages saying, "Oh, I'm really busy. I've got a lot of schoolwork, but don't worry, I'm going to be working on this. It's just I'm going to have to put it off a little bit longer, uh, but we'll be able to launch. We're just going to probably launch a little later than we had planned." Mm-hmm. Uh, skip ahead into 2004. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, specifically February 4th, 2004, Zuckerberg launches a, an online site called thefacebook.com. Yes. For Harvard students. Mm-hmm. And it's a social site where people can create profiles and, uh, connect with other students, which might sound a little similar. To something that the Winklevosses were working on. In fact, the Winklevosses thought so. And within six days of Facebook being launched, the, uh, the Winklevosses and Narinda, uh, said, uh, dude, you're working for us and this thing that you just launched looks an awful lot like the thing we want to launch. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. And you were telling us this whole time that you didn't have the time to work on our project. Uh, that we thought you were a part of. And in fact, this later developed into a very serious lawsuit against Facebook, which stretched f- on for several years. Yes. And it, um, in fact, it went, uh, on until 2008 when there was a settlement and, uh, settlement for $65 million. And then the Winklevosses decided to, um, appeal that settlement saying that really doesn't reflect the enormity of the problem here. Right. Whereas the judges in the cases I, I was reviewing were essentially saying, hey, this wasn't – Zuckerberg was not under a contract. This was like just people chatting in a dorm room. It wasn't It wasn't like a legally binding thing and, and you haven't really proven that uh, Zuckerberg stole information from ConnectU and in fact – most of the reports I read suggest that the way he implemented things on the Facebook.com was not the way they were trying to implement things for Connect You. In fact, they, they're usually, Zuckerberg himself referred to Connect You as more or less a dating site, mm-hmm. which to him was too narrow a view. He didn't want to create a site just to try and find a date. Mm-hmm. He wanted to create a site that would allow people to connect with one another on multiple levels, uh, not just trying to find a relationship. So, uh, it may very well be that the Facebook.com and ConnectU.com were not identical. Like it wasn't that fa- that Zuckerberg was stealing stuff to implement into Facebook. It's just that the two platforms were at least similar. They were going after a similar population. Mm-hmm. The, in fact, they were going across the identical population originally because it was going to be the Harvard students, right? And that Zuckerberg – was purposefully holding back the Connect You project so that he would have a favorable launch for Facebook, which it, again 
you might say is unethical, but it's a different it's a different kind of unethical than stealing intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So I can't I don't think Zuckerberg's hands are clean in this not fully clean, but I don't necessarily believe he was lifting ideas from the Winklevosses, but he certainly wasn't helping their cause at all. And in fact, um, that's really evident now because Facebook is huge and Connect You is not doesn't exist. Yeah, and then there's a and then there is a person named Aaron Greenspan, uh-huh. who uh, who was working on his own site, uh, which he was calling House System. Um, and in 2003, he, now he's a Harvard student. Yep. And in 2003, he was promoting his site, uh, with the brand new feature called the Facebook, which showed up before the Facebook.com. Huh. And, uh, you know, so there are several people who would like to disagree with Zuckerberg's, um, assertion that he was the one who came up with the entire thing himself. Right. And then there's, there's some other problems too. Um, yeah. There's some other controversies in this these early days of Facebook. So six days after Facebook launches, there's the complaint from the Winklevoss twins. Yes. Um, and uh, and Zuckerberg starts to worry that that the college uh, is going to get involved in this dispute, and in fact is worried about um, the uh, the folks from Connect U at, uh, connecting with the the university uh, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Harvard Crimson uh, is one of the problems. So, so he starts to, it starts to really get complicated. Now, at one point there were allegations of Zuckerberg uh, hacking into connect you profiles to make them less useful mm-hmm. in that he was supposedly um, accessing connect you profiles and changing a setting to turn profiles invisible to other people. So if you log into your profile, you might say, why is no one interacting with me? And it's because no one can find you because he had gone in there and reset your your settings so that it was a private profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was essentially a case of sabotage if those allegations are indeed true. Mm-hmm. But um, beyond that, uh, there was the point of worrying about the Winklevosses going to the, the Crimson and saying uh, Zuckerberg ripped us off. And so the Crimson reporters, for their part, were doing their due diligence and reporting the news and trying to research this before they ran a story. So they went to Zuckerberg and they asked him you know, about the allegations. And he said, look, the stuff on the Facebook.com – the platform is totally different, and the implementation is totally different from ConnectU. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, I can even prove it. And originally, he wanted them to sign a non-disclosure agreement uh, while he showed them that the two systems were totally different. But they're reporters, and they said, uh, we don't do that because then we couldn't report on it. What yeah. would be the point? Exactly. So Eventually, Zuckerberg uh, agrees to show them without the use of an NDA. Mm-hmm. And they also come to the same conclusion. They say, no, these two systems are different enough so that uh, we don't see that there's really any allegation that could be supported by this. Uh, we don't really think there's a story here. So they kind of back off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – the story doesn't end there. The Winklevoss continue. The Winklevoss twins continue to pressure the Crimson uh, reporters, saying, "Look, there's something more here." 
and um, we need you to really look into this. And so the story keeps on moving. Zuckerberg doesn't know what's going on and allegedly decides to access the reporter's email to hack the reporter's email, although it's not really hacking because here's what he did. Mm-hmm. He looked at the servers for the Facebook.com. He looked for profiles of people who were reporters or worked for the Crimson. Mm-hmm. And then he looked for any records of failed login attempts mm-hmm. and looked at the failed passwords to guess the real password. And then assumed that the real password for the Facebook.com account would likely be the same one used for the email. Then logged into the email. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So not really hacking because hacking would involve, you know, some sort of guesswork or decrypting or no, he was just taking a list of passwords that he had available to him because he was the one running the show at the facebook.com and using the logic that most people don't bother with creating different passwords for different accounts. This, by the way, is where we tell you make different passwords for your various accounts. Yes. It's a pain in the butt, but it prevents stuff like this from happening where someone, you know, you never know. There may be a service that you connect to and everyone but one person in that company is on the up and up. But that one person is kind of a jerk. Yeah. And then they use that information to try and access your your stuff elsewhere. That's why you need to have different passwords, unique passwords for each place. So he starts to try and access email. The ironic thing here was that the reporters had come again come to the conclusion that there wasn't really a story there. And so they weren't really moving on stuff. They were gonna report the story, but they weren't going to come down on uh you know, this is a legitimate uh allegation. Um so that that's also kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh and again, I have to say all of these are allegations that have been leveled. There's no definitive yes he did or no he did not. There are the denials from Facebook essentially come down to we don't comment on that because we don't want to give more uh, uh, publicity to people who are dragging up mud and just slinging it at, at Zuckerberg. We stand by the success of Facebook.com. Yeah. I think there's really only one person who knows everything for sure. Yeah. And he's rich. Said his, yeah, he's said his piece. incredibly rich. So, uh, uh, yeah, then – in that same year, in 2004, in September 2004, he got the first round of uh, of real investment money, mm-hmm. which came from the former PayPal CEO, Peter Thiel, who poured in half a million into Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. Although uh, at the time before that, uh, the, the man who was funding the Facebook servers was uh, another Harvard student, Eduardo mm-hmm. Severin. Yes, and uh, he was he was a big part of the company for quite some time. Yeah, I think he owned like a thirty percent share of Facebook.com, mm-hmm. which seven hundred fifty million active users, multi billion dollar company. That's that's some uh, that's some hard cash right there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's the. F- that's the really controversial part of the beginning of uh, of Facebook. And like we said, you know, there was the whole. The whole lawsuit, the settlement, the appeal of the settlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are other um, parts of Facebook that had some controversy that same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, well, first of all, before I jump ahead there, 
it launched in February. In March, it opened up to not just uh, Harvard, but to Stanford and Columbia and Yale as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So March of 2004, now it's up open to four universities. Um, in June, that's when Zuckerberg's like, this is, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be, I'm going to make a mint. This is my, this is my meal ticket. And he hightails it out to Palo Alto, California. Yep. That becomes the headquarters for Facebook. So Harvard, no longer. Uh, in September 2004, they add the application of, uh, groups so that you can create groups within Facebook so that you've got your own like group of, Folks who have a similar interest or uh, are from a similar place, mm-hmm. uh, and they add the wall to the profile because before we got to remember, you know, today it's easy to to forget that when Facebook first launched, it was incredibly basic. You had a profile page. Mm-hmm. It was a profile page where people could find out more information about you. That was pretty much it. So if you wanted to have Jonathan on your list of people, basically you would bookmark the page and go back there. Yeah. And it would just really... It's like a directory. It would be almost like a an online business card, but a little more personal than that. And then... Uh, uh, but in September, that's when they... Of 2004, that's when they added the wall feature mm-hmm. where you could update little statuses. And that's where you got the whole, you know, tonight I'm going to go out to blah, blah, blah. Uh, however... no education. Yeah. However, to see what your friends were talking about, you still had to visit their profile. Right. So... In other words, if I wanted to know what Chris was up to, I would go to Chris's profile and read it on his page. It wouldn't show up on my page at all. Uh, we'll get into that because that's another thing is that it's easy to forget when the features of Facebook got introduced. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think a lot of people, since um, since it was originally aimed at college students, uh, it, it may be difficult for the majority of the rest of us who didn't have accounts until Facebook went public. Right. Um, and I don't mean IPO, I mean opened up to opened the public. up to the public. Um, that, uh, that we realized that. And, the, and a lot of these features had already been implemented. The very basics. Right, right. Had yeah. been implemented. We'll be getting into one of those in a minute. But yeah, uh, you know, back then it was, you, you had to be a college student mm-hmm. or, or, uh, to be able to access Facebook at that point. And it, at, before 2004 was over, they had switched from the Facebook to Facebook. Uh, also, in fall of 2004, they try to launch – in fact, they do launch another service that connects to Facebook. This should sound familiar to anyone who's used any sort of application which requires you to connect through Facebook first. Mm-hmm. They called it Wirehog. Wirehog. Do you remember Wirehog? No, I don't. Wirehog I mean, was, I've heard of it, but I don't remember it. So Wirehog launched in 2004, fall of 2004, and mm-hmm. the idea was that it was going to be a sharing Platform that would allow you to share things like photos or music mm-hmm. from your computer with other people. So almost like a peer to peer thing, but it used Facebook's login system as a connector. So it was um, a precursor to a lot of the other uh, websites and applications that, you know, you, you log in through Facebook and then you can interact more with that site. It kind of was a, a predecessor to that. Now, because of the file to file sort of uh, relationship with, um, you know, the fact that the whole peer-to-peer networks and file sharing got a super bad name because of piracy, rampant piracy. Yeah. Uh, Facebook dropped Wirehog and they do not really refer to that at all anymore. But that originally was going to be a, a huge platform and Zuckerberg and, and Facebook had poured a lot of, of time and effort into creating it. And all indications early on seemed to be that Wirehog was going to be just as big, if not bigger, than Facebook itself. Mm-hmm. 
It's just that uh, because of all the heat, they decided to drop it. Yeah. Some people have said that it was because it wasn't taking off uh, as fast as they had hoped, and it was sort of distracting them from the possibility that uh, they could promote Facebook more thoroughly. But I think it's more that they didn't want the the legal headaches. The legal headaches. Yeah. No, I think I I totally agree with you. So, but it did it did uh, provide some uh, some clues as to what Facebook could do. Yeah. Because and and I speaking of the connecting other parts of the web to Facebook yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Which we see a lot of now. Yeah. Well, by December of 2004, so it's not even quite a year old yet, they had almost hit a million active users. And uh, that was big news. I mean, now, granted, at this point, uh, MySpace is already up and running as well and is way ahead of Facebook because MySpace did not limit itself to just college students. What about Friendster? Friendster was never – well, Friendster was Friendster was big because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> To use at that point. So Friendster was not, uh, Friendster would later come into the story again, but was not, uh, not a, not as big a player. Well, I guess it was a little larger at that time, but not, not from very much longer. Yeah, it was something. Orkut was also out. Yeah. But Orkut, uh, which was Google's social network, didn't really take off except in other countries like Brazil and India. It never yeah. really took off in the United States or anywhere else in North America. Considering, though, the head start that some of these other sites had, yeah, um, it is it is almost shocking in in uh, in hindsight to see how Facebook outmaneuvered them. Yeah, in so many different well, and, and areas. There's so many. They were there. There was a lot of. Um, Hubris on the part of the other companies as well, saying there's no we're too big to fail. There's yeah. no way this little upstart company is going to cause problems for us. Right. I should also add now that I misspoke earlier. I said that uh, oh. the Facebook.com became Facebook in 2004. It did not. It was August 2005. Oh, okay. I was looking at the wrong section of my notes. So for all those people who wrote in to tell me I was wrong, uh, you were right. Um, but I did correct myself before the end of the podcast. So shame on you for pausing it and writing to me before you finished. Yeah. Um, Moving on, uh, by September of 2005, that's when Facebook opens up to high school students. Mm-hmm. So now it's colleges and high schools. And uh, by the end of 2005, they're up to five point five and a half million users, active users. That's nothing um, to sneeze at. They also in that year added uh, photos as an application. So you could have a, a photo book inside, a photo album inside uh, your Facebook profile. Yeah. Now, I think when I first joined Facebook, uh, the there was a limit to how many photos you could have within an album, and it was 60. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to upload, if you had more than 60 photos for an event, you had to actually create two albums at least to be able to house them all. Uh, it's different now. Um, but yeah, back then, that was that was a, a... It was still really cool. I mean, the fact that, you know, people could actually have a place where they interacted and they could share photos. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a photo-sharing site. Uh, meant that uh, it had some added value. Mm-hmm. Uh, by April of 2006, they had uh, raised more than oh, more than 27 million dollars in in venture capital. Uh, it, every year, essentially, Facebook was getting more and more investments. Uh, it took a while for Facebook to find a business model that was going to work out for them. Now, of course, today we know that. They use a lot of advertising to mm-hmm. generate revenue. And uh, this would be a good time to mention, if you ever see a message on Facebook that says, beware that Facebook is going to start creating premium accounts or charging people to use Facebook, that's just a hoax. Yeah. It doesn't 
it, if you think about it for a second, it makes no sense for Facebook to do that. You could argue Facebook has 750 million users. If it charged for access, think of all the money they can make. Well, that assumes that the 750 million people wouldn't immediately say, no, I'm out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine a lot of people would bail on that, and they they already have a very lucrative position because they have chosen to partner with well, pretty much everybody. Yeah, and they are working. You know, at, people are working with Facebook on revenue opportunities, so and, there's no need to charge for. Access. And if, yeah, and if face, if Facebook makes a lot of its money through advertising, well, it would it would put those relationships with its advertisers in jeopardy. Because the advertisers would say, hey, wait a minute, you're driving away our audience. That's what we're paying you for. We're paying you for access to these people. Right. If you drive those people away, then why are we paying you? So it makes no financial sense at all from Facebook's perspective to create a premium account or start charging people. Agreed. It makes way more sense to keep it as open as possible because ultimately the product that Facebook is selling is you. Yes. Your information is what is valuable to Facebook's mm-hmm. advertisers. Mm-hmm. And so it makes way more sense for Facebook to try and gather as many of us as there as it possibly can and it makes no sense to try and limit that. So if you ever do see that making the rounds at Facebook, just know that it's a hoax. Also, most of them say paste this in your status update to prevent it from yeah. happening to you. How does that make sense? Yeah, anytime anybody, and that goes for email too. When people say, share this with all of your friends, that's usually a signal. That's that, a hoax, that it's or, a hoax or some sort of chain letter or something. That's yeah, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Like, is there someone at Facebook who says, no, we shall turn on the premium account setting. Oh, wait. He posted that in his status update last Wednesday. Drat, you escape my nefarious plan. I like to think they do that, but I doubt it. I have no follow-up to that. Yeah, I've had a lot of coffee this morning. Apparently. All right, so tangent aside. Yes. Back back to the story of Facebook. Uh-huh. Uh, so moving through 2006, mm-hmm. they start to work to, to flesh out Facebook even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start to create something that in September 2006 made a big thud in Facebook. Today, it's instrumental in the way we use Facebook. But at the time, people saw it and said, whoa, which was the news feed. And the mini feed. Yeah, the news feed and the mini feed. But the news feed, you know, this is where you would log on to your Facebook account and suddenly you had a centralized view of what your friends were up to. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like that before. Remember, before, if you wanted to find out what your friends were up to, you had to visit their profile to find out. Yeah. But now you had a place that was funneling their activities into your news feed. Yeah. And some people really thought this was terrible. And then they did something else that was very controversial. What's that? They sold out, man. Well, they, yeah, they, they did uh, that too. They uh, allowed uh, the regular guy to, and, and, and you know, lady, to yes. join Facebook. So yeah, you no longer up. had to be a student yeah, to yeah. join. Same, yeah, same month that they opened up the newsfeed. So for most of us who joined Facebook once we could, we only knew Facebook using the newsfeed. So for us, it yes. was not a big deal. Exactly. But to the people who had been there before, it was a very big deal. And, uh, and admittedly, there were some missteps. And in fact, Zuckerberg <laughs> apologized for the way the newsfeed 
was uh, implemented. This would not be the first time that Zuckerberg or the last time that Zuckerberg would offer an apology nope. based upon what Facebook had done. And I'm sure the last one is not the last time. No, either. it will not be. But the, um, the the problem was that a lot of the activities were showing up in news feeds, whether people wanted them to or not. And so Facebook eventually had to, you know, they had to tweak the privacy settings behind the scenes so that not everything would publish all the time. So, for example, the poke feature. Where stop that? Yeah, all it is is just a little thing where it sends a message to someone saying that they've been poked. That's all it is. That's it. But some people use it as a way of flirting oh, or man. whatever, or or irritating someone. They it irritates not, a lot of people. They did not want it publishing on everyone's newsfeed that they had poked someone else, right. especially if they were a uh, pathological poker. If they were poking lots of people. They didn't want people to see that, like, especially if you're using it as flirtation, right? Pathological. Let's say that I want to send a poke to some dreamy gal. Um, I'll say, uh, Candace. I want to poke Candace, uh, formerly of Stuff You Missed in History class, and I send a poke to her. But then I think, you know what? Dublina, who is now on Stuff You Missed in History class, I want to, I'm going to send her a poke too. Well, I definitely don't want Candace and Dublina to see that I've poked both of them. That's just going to be awkward. They yeah. don't listen to tech stuff, do they? I have no idea. All right, listeners, I need you all to raise your right hands mm-hmm. and repeat after me. I promise I will not tell Candace or Dublina <laughs> that Jonathan talked about them on <laughs> tech stuff. Okay. Now, uh, but that's an example of the sort of stuff that right. people were upset about. And, of course, they tweaked it. Facebook tweaked these things so that not everything would pop up. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think that the news feed was such a controversial uh, feature when today it is like the central place people go to when they are using Facebook. Yeah. Uh, by the end of 2006, Facebook had hit 12 million Active users, so more than doubling in size from the previous year. Uh, and then in 2007, you start getting into things like they had the, uh, they, they start opening up, uh, and getting popular in Canada, the United Kingdom. They launched the virtual gift shop, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. lasted for a while. Well, less than six months later, in April of 2007, uh, they had 20 million active users. Yeah, it was starting to grow really, really quickly was, at this point. That was almost, uh, again, that was almost doubled from just a few months previous. And in May 2007, that's when they launched the Facebook platform. Now, this was where people could develop, uh, develop, um, um, sort of extensions or games or other features using Facebook as its own platform. Maybe you could plant some crops. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is what allows get a bale of hay. this is what allows all those games like Farmville and Mafia Wars and the zombie games and the pirate games and all of those different variations. Uh they're using Facebook as a platform. Now when it first launched there was something like uh, 85 applications, but now there are thousands of them. Yeah. And if you have the kind of friends who like to play lots of games and you yourself are not that kind of person, you know how irritating that could be. Although the hide feature is fantastic. Um, so then you go on a little bit further. Uh, we should also mention that Facebook uh, in 2007 uh, launched and then eventually buried something else that caused a lot of controversy. Beacon. Smells like beacon. I knew you were going to. I was like, beacon, uh, beacon, beacon, beacon. I knew he was going to do that. I knew it. I almost said that before we started recording. <laughs> I, I was going to put money down. Um, and I would have won. 
But yeah, so Beacon was this idea of uh, Facebook being involved in transactions. Like if you're starting to shop through Facebook uh, so that Facebook can market your shopping habits and your preferences to advertisers to target advertising specifically to you so that you would continue to shop online and spend more money so that more advertisers could be targeted to you. And um, the way it was implemented, people freaked out and said this is a terrible, gross uh, violation of privacy and Zuckerberg said, whoops, sorry. And, uh, they quietly killed it. Actually, I guess quietly is not really true. They publicly killed it. However, one could argue that today what Facebook is doing is essentially the same thing that Beacon was doing. It's just not branded. Beacon, Beacon, Beacon. Yeah, um, yeah as a matter of fact, um, in 2006, they had already begun partnering with other companies. Yeah. Um, to work together to, uh, share information. Um, and and to share uh, different stories and things on Facebook, um, so this was sort of a logical extension of that. They've realized that their their customer base is an important source of revenue for the company, um, and uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, Facebook and Microsoft were working together before the end of two thousand seven to reach out to foreign markets. Mm-hmm. So um, and then you know the Facebook ads. You know, funny they don't they don't. Facebook's official timeline doesn't mention Beacon by name. That's strange. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Yeah, um, no, it was a it was a black eye for the company. Yeah, and it was definitely becoming uh, something a uh, very public, uh, publicly popular site. They um, had the featured their presidential debates with ABC News in uh, January of two thousand eight. Um, they started releasing in foreign languages also in that year with Spanish, French, German. Um, they launched the Facebook chat application in April of 2008 yep. um, and got to 100 million active users, which is, you have to think about it, among the most popular sites on the Internet already yeah. Yeah. by August 2008. Now, and then there was Facebook Connect yes, by the end of that year. And that Facebook Connect, that's the one we've been talking about obliquely throughout this podcast, the one that allows you to create some sort of Facebook interaction on your site and have people log in through their Facebook login account yeah. to create a profile on your site. So you don't have to log in, create a username and password on multiple sites. Yeah. They will allow you to log in on other sites and, with your Facebook login. And it keeps you in Facebook's ecosystem. It, it's good for the consumer in that it simplifies how many you know accounts you have. It's good for Facebook because it means that they get even more information about you. Um, and it's good for the the sites that you log into because it gives them a higher profile, Facebook being so incredibly popular. Uh, by the way, in 2009, just moving over to that, that was when Beacon was officially shut down. It was launched in 2007. It was not officially shut down till 2009. And by the way, the, the reason, you know, we talked about how it gives off, gave away a lot of your personal information. One of the big reasons why people hated Beacon was that it would post things to your wall mm-hmm. based upon your actual shopping habits. Yeah. You remember all those partners that yeah. they had. So if you went shopping at, you know, uh, I like toys.com and you bought a whole box of, um, Construction toys, and uh, all of a sudden you went back to your Facebook wall and went, "Wait a minute, how they know that I just spent two hundred dollars on plastic bricks?" Yeah, or let's say that you went to some site and bought some jewelry for uh, uh, for your better. sweetheart, and your sweetheart is online for, for a gift. Yeah, then your sweetheart suddenly knows that you bought this jewelry because it's it's posted right there in your Facebook. Or let's say you bought some uh, some jewelry for someone who's not, not your, your sweetheart. sweetheart. 
because your sweetheart says, honey, you know, I don't like amethyst. And then you say, but I didn't buy it. I mean, and then it goes to your relationship status. So that goes from, from either, either married or in a relationship to either single or it's complicated. complicated. Um, yeah. So that's why people felt it was a real gross violation of privacy was that it was posting all this stuff about you. So in 2009, probably took more time than you would expect. Uh, September 21st, 2009, uh-huh. Facebook shuts down Beacon. Yes. Now check this out. December, uh, January 2009, Facebook gets to 150 million active users. Yep. February. In February, 175 million active users. Uh-huh. And if you like that, you can now click the like button because that's when that showed up. Yep. April 200 million. Yeah, which is which is funny because that means it March slowed things down. Yes. It went it went up 25 million from January to February and then up 25 million from February to April. Oh, they'll catch up because in July they got to 250 million. Yep. In September 300 million. In December 350 million, which oh. means they started the year at 150 million and ended in 350 million, so they more than doubled over the course of 12 months in that's, 2009. That's pretty incredible, especially when you consider how large it was already. Uh in August 2009, that's when they um when Facebook uh, purchased, acquired a friend feed. Yes. Uh, and then you started to see some of friend feeds kind of functionality implemented in the Facebook uh, UI. Yes. So, yep, friend feed goes bye-bye and becomes one with Facebook. I remember a lot of people being, it not a lot exists. of people, not a lot of people. Well, yes, but I remember there were people who were upset, which kind of interested me. Oh, yeah, a lot of people because, canceled their friend feed yeah. uh, accounts. But then friend feed wasn't, that huge. No. <laughs> but the people who were using it were upset. Uh, they were passionate them, users. Yes. So then uh, February 2010, you get up to f- over 400 million. And then by July of 2010, you get over to f- over 500 million active users. And in August 2010, they launch Places. Yes. Which is a, yet another location-based service, which we've seen throughout the internet in various uh, applications. And you can check in. Yep. And you could check other people in, which that was a problem for a while, too. Oh, yes. Uh, Facebook had, again, had to tweak some privacy settings because the idea was that you could check people into places that you were at. And who's to say that you were to be honest about that? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe I'm the kind of guy who wants to go to some sort of seedy joint and uh, and I don't mind that I'm there and I check in and I'm like, I don't care if people know that I'm in, you know, this, right. this biker bar and uh which, by the way, I actually do go to biker bars. So, hey, there's that. But then I think, hey, you know what would be funny? Chris is totally not the kind of guy who would go to this biker bar, but I'm going to check him in anyway. Yeah. And then everyone's going to see that Chris is at a biker bar, even though he's actually at home with his family. Uh, yeah, I could have done that. Um, they've since tweaked that, so it's not like that anymore. But, uh, yeah, that was – I was like, what are you thinking? You gotta have some sort of verification process so that the person who's being checked in can say, dude, I am totally not there. Or, dude, I totally don't want people to know I'm there. What if I'm at the person who's not my sweetheart giving her this amethyst necklace I bought? Do you know how much trouble I got in when I bought the necklace? I am going to remove the soapbox from this room. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, and by July of 2011, the year in which we are recording this, they reached 750 Million users. Yeah. Also in 2011, that's when they launched the timeline feature, which, um, arranges your, your profile page, arranges your wall in a, a interactive timeline, uh, with the most recent 
posts to your wall being at the top and the oldest ones being at the bottom with with uh, certain ones called out based upon mostly how many people liked or commented on that particular status update. So you might have one month where you updated your Facebook page a lot, but you're not going to see every single one of those entries necessarily represented in your timeline. It'll just be the ones that got the most uh, response. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Because Facebook says, well, the algorithm guesses that those have to be the most important ones because they had the most activity. Right. So then you look at your Facebook uh, profile page now and it's a reverse timeline. Not everyone has uh, implemented that, I've noticed, because some of my friends have yet to activate that feature. I activated it during the developer phase to see what it was all about. And I actually kind of think it's neat. It definitely does pose some privacy issues, but you have to remember that everything that shows up in that timeline is stuff you have chosen to share on Facebook. It's not like Facebook is scraping data about you and inserting it into the timeline. It's just putting the stuff you've already uh, inserted into the the system uh, and putting it into the timeline itself. So if you're careful about what you put in Facebook, then you shouldn't have any nasty surprises there. Mm-hmm. And you can tweak that too. You can change the settings so that not everyone can see it. Now, Facebook also ended up implementing a lot of changes that seem to um, bear some resemblance to another social network that launched in 2011. Really? Yeah, Google Plus. You know, Google Plus had this idea. I think I've that, heard of it. Yeah, Facebook ended up doing a lot of making a lot of changes that some people have said was a direct response to Google Plus, including allowing you to subscribe to someone without being their friend, mm-hmm. so that you would see public updates, kind of like you do on Google Plus or on Twitter. Uh, also, they created lists that made it easier to filter people out, so that you can publish updates to specific groups in a very streamlined fashion. You could already do that for a while. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. You kind of had to know the system pretty well to be able to to post to the specific group of people you wanted to. Now it's a little bit more intuitive. Uh, they also included the um, the little uh, what is it called the, the the little timeline kicker thing. I the name of it is escape little me. timeline kicker the ticker thing? the ticker Rhymes timeline kicker. kicker. There you go the ticker. The ticker on the side, the right rail, where you can see the the live updates that are going on amongst your friends, mm-hmm. which may or may not have anything at all to do with you. That can sometimes get a little irritating because you can sometimes see that your friend are, your friend is commenting on someone else's page and you don't know that other person. So you're like, why do I care about that? Somebody's going to post this on our Facebook feed and go, <laughs> kind of annoying? Well, again, you can change the settings on your Facebook profile so that the the amount of information that'll pop up in someone else's ticker is very limited for now yeah but if you don't know that then that means that pretty much everything everyone interacts with is going to be popping up on tickers of all your friends that gets really pretty irritating yes uh so anyway uh that kind of brings us up to speed now there's lots of other stuff that's going on with facebook it's still not a public company no it's still a private company uh there's a lot of you know there's always conjecture about when it will go public, if ever. Yep. There used to be conjecture about who would buy them. Yeah. Now it's more of a conjecture about who, who they will, will buy. Who will they buy, yeah. Because Facebook has purchased, has acquired several companies over its in its past. So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've seen it partner with other companies like Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really seen full integration of Spotify yet. We've seen it integrated so that uh, you can see what people are listening to if they have their settings uh, set to, to public mm-hmm. for uh, 
their Spotify accounts, and of course in the United States anyway, uh, you now have to log in to Spotify through Facebook if you were to create a new account. Mm-hmm. So that's irritated some people who said, I wanted to use Spotify, but I don't want to use Facebook, and now you're forcing me to do do that. Right. So um, yeah, there's still some controversy there, and I'm sure there will continue to be controversy, especially since Zuckerberg himself has on past occasions made comments that essentially say he believes privacy is a thing of the past. Yes. And that people who make a fuss over um, uh, features that violate privacy are really kind of out of date. Like that's – it's no – privacy – since privacy doesn't matter, then these complaints don't really matter. Although he'll still go and fine if it'll be if it'll make you be quiet, I'll stop violating your privacy so rampantly, or at least so so visibly. <laughs> uh, um, I am out of date. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm right there with you, Paulette. Uh, I personally think that some sense of privacy should be maintained. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't have any uh, any presence online. But I don't think that we should just um, feel compelled to share everything about us all the time. It's too easy for someone to take advantage of you that way. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we've the both of the guys in this room have had bitter experience of folks taking advantage of stuff, and or you know, just unscrupulous people being unscrupulous, and you don't want to give them more material to work with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, anyway, that's the story of Facebook. We're going to wrap this up so it doesn't become the longest episode ever. If you have anything you would like to talk about, you can email us. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle there is techstuffhsw, and Chris and I will talk again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.